John chapter 20 in our Bibles, and we're going to not directly build off of last week's, but kind of indirectly. Because what we did last week, you'll see why that's important, because they're going to struggle with what we're going to, what we did last week, they weren't doing, and, and that became a struggle for them. And I think we'll see how that plays out here. So we're going to talk about this idea of how Bible study profits the believer. In other words, what, in what way studying the Bible helps us? I think there's a, always a question about that. People feel like, well, you know, I read the Bible, I read the Bible all the way through, I didn't seem to get anything out of it. Well, the Bible is not like you're reading uh, some fictional book or even some how-to-do book or something like that. The Bible is written very uniquely in a way that uh, compels us to keep reading it, because every time you read it, it's like putting a bucket down the well. You get fresh water every time. And the Lord uses it to cleanse us and to change us, uh, sometimes slowly, sometimes a little bit more quickly. But there's a lot of profit that comes from Bible study. We're going to look at several uh, aspects of that uh, tonight from John chapter 20. So we're in John chapter 20 tonight, and I'm going to start in verse 1, read down to verse 10, and then we're going to drop down and read the end of the, uh, the chapter, which is verse 30 and verse 31. John chapter 20, I'll begin in verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, that would be John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre, the tomb. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, Yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again into their own home. And if you continue reading the chapter, you'll see there's a lot of head-scratching that's going on. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. This is a critical verse to understand as you study the Bible. But these are written, the things that are in the Word of God. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing... You might have life through his name. Now, if you go back with me to John chapter 20, look with me at verse number 9. I think verse number 9 is a shocking verse. Now, in comparison to the last lesson, last Wednesday night, if you remember last Wednesday night, we looked at here is what happened in the New Testament, and here is what was prophesied in the Old Testament, and how the connection was made there. All these prophecies fulfilled in the... Um, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mostly we looked at the death. In fact, that might be the only part we looked at last week. And we looked at it and we said, well, it happened exactly like the Bible said. Now what's interesting, even though that is true, they're not connecting the dot here. Look at chapter 20, look at verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture 
that he must rise again from the dead. Now, that's a shocking verse when you consider that Jesus clearly told them of his death and resurrection. It wasn't like they had no, no idea this was going to happen. But it's not computing, it's not connecting, it's not making sense to them. And when it happens, they're like, what's going on? Let me show you some verses about this. Hold your place in John 20. Go with me to John 2. Because I said a moment ago, Jesus had told them. Well, how do we know he told them? Because the Bible records it. So we're going to use the Bible to prove that statement. Because if you leave here tonight and say, well, Jesus told them, the preacher said. That's not good enough. Jesus told them because the Bible said. John chapter 20, verse 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou, also, uh, showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto him, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and, yet, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, verse 22 is true, but it's not happening in chapter 20, verse 9. They've not made that connection yet. But they realize, wait a minute, he did tell us about this. Then that's not the only one. Can you say, what? That's a little obscure. Well, there's some that are not so obscure. So we'll go back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. And look with me at verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things to the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. He's telling them this. Of course, Peter chimes in as he tends to do. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. He's rebuking Jesus. Can you imagine that? Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Peter, you might want to stop by your head. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And we'll kind of allude to that uh, here in a little bit as well. But it's not connecting. He's looking at it from the wrong perspective, but he is telling them this. Let's look at one more place, Luke 18. Luke 18. Now my point is, here, is to show you that Jesus did tell them this. Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them. Now, this is not the same event happening in Matthew 16. This is not just a, because uh, some of the gospel accounts, they are synchronized or they are, syn there's another word for it. What's that? Uh, well, that could be another one. That's not what I'm thinking of. But there is a. But anyways, they're 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 the same event in different gospel accounts. This is not. This is a different event. So this is another time he's telling them. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles. That would be Pilate, and the Romans, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. Now watch. And the third day he shall rise again. Does he rise again the third day? 
Yes. Do they see the tombs empty? Yes. Are they, can they understand what's happening? No. no. They're like, what's happening here? Duh. What did he tell you? That's what's happening here. Now, so it's a shocking verse when you come to chapter 20 and verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture, but that's the key right there. They're not tying it to scripture. That's why we spent all that time last week saying, okay, we're tying it to Scripture. We're not just looking at an event, we're looking at prophecy. They have not done this, they have not tied it to Scripture, so they are confused. They don't know really what's happening. They don't have something to put their faith in. Now, the disciples, now watch this, the disciples had not understood that the resurrection was in harmony with prophecy. This is where they're, they're missing the boat. This is their, the stumbling stone or stumbling block, if you will. This is where it's not connecting. They're seeing the event, but they're not tying it to the Bible, the Scripture. That's why verse 9 says, for yet they knew not the Scripture. Now, what was Scripture to them? Old Testament. Because they didn't have the New Testament yet. What we looked at last week, the Old Testament, that's what we're talking about. So they, they did not tie it to the Old Testament, so they're not making this connection. So the disciples had not understood that the resurrection was in harmony, went along with, was a product of prophecy. Now watch this. Their focus, and this is what gets them in trouble, their focus was on Christ's victorious kingdom. That's what their focus on, his victorious kingdom. And it kind of blinded them to his vicarious death. All they're looking at is, this is Messiah, here comes the kingdom, and he dies, and they're like, well, wait a minute. This is not what we thought was going to happen. I know he told us that, but, you know, we thought he was just, he was just making conversation, you know. It kind of got boring along the way. I don't know. Now, the disciples were struggling to understand what had happened to their leader. He's crucified. It's, it's like the, the worst possible penalty on someone. It's like the worst thing happened to him. He's crucified. And now they're being confronted with these tales of his body gone, taken. Now they're like, really, what's going on here? They were probably, here's my guess, this is a guess. They were probably expecting some earth-shattering event to happen. He's the Messiah. If he's going to raise from the dead, it's going to be some earth-shattering event. The whole world's going to know about it, and everyone's going to turn to him. But all we have is some lady saying, ah, he's gone, he's gone. And they're like, really, this is it? So it, it's not connecting. And really the reason it's not connecting is because it's not built on their understanding of Scripture. So they're probably expecting an earth-shattering event that announced Jesus' return, but all they had were these women excited over Jesus, and excited in a negative way, over Jesus' missing body. So go, again, hold your place in John. Go with me to Luke 24. And when you go there, you might want to put a bookmark because we're going to be looking at several different places in Luke 24 over the next few minutes. Luke 24. Now, I'm trying to lay a foundation of, of their failure here. And I'm not trying to be unkind. I mean, these are the apostles. I'm mean, not worthy to tie their shoes. Uh, so I'm not trying to be unkind to them. But I'm trying to show us why, what we needed to learn about the profit, the, the profitability of Bible study, connecting things to the Scripture. Luke 24, look with me at verse number 1. Now, and this is an account of the resurrection similar to John 20, but we're going to read it from Luke. Now, upon the first day of the week, very, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. 
And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? What a great statement that is. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, these people that had shown up early. Uh, And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven. That would be the twelve disciples minus the obvious one. Okay? Uh, all these things unto eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things in the apostles. Now watch, look, look at verse 11. And their words seemed to them, them being the eleven, as idle tales, and they believed them not. They're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. He's dead. He's buried. I don't know where his body is. They're not making the connection. Now, even though there were some who were trying to understand and believe, it seems like most of the disciples were struggling to simply accept what had happened. It's been like three crazy days for them. Then, Jesus physically appeared. Now, here's the, this is the foundational, transitional part. Ready? Then Jesus physically appeared and not only pointed to himself but pointed them to Scripture, and that changes everything. He does point to himself, but he also takes time to point them back to Scripture, and now you have a big change. So you, you, you enter in this story where they're all like, he's dead, we have no idea what's going on, and then the ladies show up and saying, you know, the tomb's empty, the tomb is empty, and they're like, really? Uh, he's, what? We don't know what is going on. But when Jesus shows up and points to himself and points to Scripture, now everything begins to change. I told you, hold your place in Luke 24. Let's look at it now from this aspect of pointing to himself and pointing to Scripture. So, let me see. Hold, okay, you're in Luke 24 and in John 20. Let's just go to, back to John 20 for a moment so I can set what's happening. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. This is after Peter and John showed up. Okay? Now, if we stop there and go to Luke 24, we pick up some other things that's not in John. But we do see them in Luke, starting in verse 13. So the two have showed up at the tomb, Peter and John. They found the tomb is empty. They've gone back. They're scratching their head. Now look at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together in reason, now watch, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? In other words, he could tell you know, they're, 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 what they're saying, how they're talking, how they're looking. They're very, very discouraged. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Stop. What's their focus? 
a victorious kingdom. That's part of their problem. They're looking at the wrong thing. They're thinking, he was going to set up the kingdom. No, he wasn't. That was your interpretation. You're not connecting what he's happened back to Scripture, which is what they needed to do. And now the chief priests and the rulers delivered him, be condemned to death and crucified him, but we trust it had been he which had redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early to sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. We don't know what to make of it. Notice what Jesus does. Then he said unto them, O fools. Now when Jesus starts calling you a fool in the beginning, mm, he's got a few things to say to you, right? O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice that? Did you not pay attention when I was teaching the Bible? That's basically what he's saying. This is what the scripture says. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, kind of, now, in a much, much better, broader way than we did last week, but similar to what we did last week. We looked at the prophets and, and compared that to what actually happened. Okay, so, me, so in the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he begins to not just point to himself, but he points to scripture. Now, Hold your place again in Luke 24. Let's go to back to John 20 so we keep the, the, um, all the events going. Okay, now go down to verse 19. This happens, okay, um, well, let me just read it. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus, stood in the midst, and said to them, Peace be unto you. And he, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now let's go back to Luke 24. Look with me at verse 36. So this, in Luke 24, 36, is the same thing we just read here in John 20, but it's going to be expounded on. So there's going to be more details given. Same event, more details. Luke 24, verse 36. And as, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. So he's pointing to himself. For his spirit hath no flesh and bones as you may have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were yet... And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, Now watch, These are the words I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open ye their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He points himself, but he always points back to scripture. And then this is going to be the turning event. Now, let me give you a couple more statements, and we'll be ready to give you some points here. This is a long introduction, isn't it? So let me give you a couple thoughts. I know you haven't had anything to write down yet, but we will in here in a moment. Understand this, that scripture 
trumps experience. Now, they're having experience, but, they're not, but Jesus isn't building their faith on the experience they're having. He's going to build their faith on Scripture. He doesn't simply say, look, it's me. He says, it's me, and here's what the Bible said about me. This is what you should have believed. So Scripture trumps experience. What the Bible says is more important than what you have experienced. Now, we have a problem among many believers who don't believe what I just said. They'll tell you, well, I, I know what the Bible says, but here's what I've experienced. And they use that to trump the Scripture. They say, for example, I'll, I'll give you one, charismatics. You can tell them all you want how what they believe about tongues does not line up with Scripture. And here, eventually, what you get to is what they're going to tell you. Here's what they're going to tell you. But I've talked in tongues. doesn't matter what the Bible says. I've done it, therefore, it must be okay to do. Your experience does not trump Scripture. I don't know what you did. You, you did whatever, but here's what the Scripture says, and Scripture always trumps experience. So if you say, well, I know what the Bible says, but here's how I feel, here's how I think, here's what I've gone through, here's how I've done things, none of that matters if it's contrary to Scripture. Scripture always trumps experience. That's why we build our faith on the Word of God, not just things we've gone through in life. Believers are to filter our experiences through Scripture and give Scripture the primacy in all things. The way we do this, how do we, how do we put Scripture over experience? By making sure that we are faithfully studying the Bible and seeking the Lord to help us understand it. So I'm going to go back to this account in John 20. I want to use this account to help us understand how we are profited by studying the Bible. And I'm really going to base it on chapter 20, verse 30 and verse 31, uh, those two end verses there, as the basis of these things. We're going to use some other resurrection accounts, but it's all really coming from those two verses, uh, the, the main foundation of this lesson. And when I'm talking about studying, what I'm, ta- what I'm talking about is studying, not just reading. You know what part of studying is? Thinking about what you're reading. Now you can, com- and we'll talk about comparing Scripture and some other things. But a big part of studying is stopping and saying, hmm, let me think, let me see if I can get this straight in my head. Or thinking of a verse that really jumps out at you and say, you know what, I'm going to maybe think about this verse all day and chew on it for a while. It's not just reading a bunch of uh, verses, marking something off on a piece of paper, and then going through our day. And I know I say that a lot, and I'm not against... I'm not against Bible reading calendars. I'm not against marking things off. What I'm against is, is just going through a certain duty, marking it off, and then you stop, and then you live the rest of your life absent of anything you just read. What we read needs to go in our minds and our hearts. We need to think about it. We need to, to, to uh, consider what it means in our own life. That's what I'm talking about, the studying, the meditating, the chewing on the Word of God. That's how the Bible profits the believer. Let me give you three thoughts about it. Um, you can, I don't, we'll be in and out a whole bunch of different places. Um, so we're back to Luke 24. I'm not sure how much we'll be back in John 20, but right now we're going to go back to Luke 24. And look with me at verse 27. I'll give you that, and then we'll jump into the first point. Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me just stop and ask you a question. If he went to the scriptures 
and talked about himself, then what talks about Jesus? The scriptures. How much of the scriptures talk about Jesus? All of them. Because Jesus said, I'm going to start. Moses is, is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophets and the Psalms is basically all the rest of it. Basically, he went through the Old Testament and said, here's a verse, 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 and it's all talking about me. So here's the first thing we need to understand. Number one is this. Bible study profits us by keeping our focus on Jesus. What is the theme of the Bible? Jesus. What is the focus of Bible study? Jesus. What is everything talking about in the Bible? Jesus. What's the type? All these different things, they're types. What are they types of? They're types of Jesus. What is that story about? It's about Jesus. Jesus is the central character, central theme. Everything focuses on Jesus. So we study the Bible because it's all about him, which keeps our focus on him. So the scriptures was written, sorry, the scriptures are written to point us to Jesus. Good. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means then. Now watch. The more a believer properly studies the Bible, the more he will be focused on Jesus. The more you're in the Bible, the more your mind's going to be on him because that's what the Bible's about. That's why we don't just simply read the Bible and stop and then live the rest of our life, the rest of the day, because we want to stay focused on Scripture. That's how we stay focused on Jesus. Let me show you what I mean by it. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. Bill asked me, he was reading the book of Leviticus, which is a chore, I will admit. It is a chore. Um, I'm just finishing up Leviticus, and it's always like, here we go, another, another offering. And I, it's like, oh, man. And then you're reading through it, and you're, and you're trying to stay focused. But I, tell you, I, I think you asked me, or maybe someone else asked me, they said, what's all these offerings about? I can tell you what all the offerings in the Bible is about. It's about Jesus. In some way or another, they're pointing to Jesus. Now, thank God, we, I, now, you, some people say, well, I wish I'd lived back then when, you know, they, they heard the voice of God and they saw the cloud on the mountain, they, you know, the, and God miraculously provided the manna and provided the water from the rock. Well, that's all great things, but I'd much rather live in the day we live now. Amen. Could you imagine all of the offerings they had to do? The, the, the reality is this. If you really saw yourself as God, saw yourself, you might as well just buy a whole sheep farm and stand right beside the tabernacle and go, here's another one, and here's another one, and here's another I mean, you'd have to be giving offerings all the time. Back to this. So the scriptures are written to point us to Jesus. And the more a believer properly studies the Bible, the more he will be focused on Jesus. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look with me at verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, mature. I think we talked about this maybe Sunday, maybe? Sunday morning, Sunday night, somewhere recent we talked about this. That the man of, maybe it might have been Sunday school. That the man of God may be perfect, complete, matured in their faith, truly furnished into all good works. That's what the scripture does. It matures us. Well, what does a mature Christian look like? Now, don't point to someone in the room. I'm not, I'm, hey, it looks like that guy right there. Okay. I'm talking about if we were completely perfected in our faith, we were at the pinnacle, what would we look like? Jesus. Because that's who we're shooting for, shooting at. 
going towards. I mean, I mean that as a goal, not obviously a target. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So scripture, the Bible says, through the scripture, I'm going to be perfected. I'm going to be thoroughly furnished in all good works, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Then Romans 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's God is molding us into the image of Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God uses Scripture, shows us Jesus, molds us in the image, trying to help us be like Jesus. So everything's pointing at Jesus and helping us be like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Look with me at verse 18. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit's changing us into this image, the image of Christ. Now, how does the Spirit of the Lord do that? Through His Word. He's the author of His book. He worked through his word, molding us into the image of Jesus. So the more a believer properly studies the Bible, the more we be focused on Jesus and thus become more like Jesus. So let me give you a couple more thoughts quickly. We must be careful not to allow the events and circumstances of life take our focus off of Jesus. That's why we had to be in the Bible, because the Bible keeps our focus on him. When you, when you see the resurrection... Everyone is sad. Three days, really, if you think about it, what should they have been doing? They should have been marking days off the calendar. There's day one, there's day two, there's day three, and they should have been, okay, any moment now, he promised, but they're not doing that because they're not focused on him. They're focused on, what are we going to do now? I mean, the, he's dead, and now they're probably going to kill us, and we, you know, we thought we are going to have a kingdom, but you know, what do we got? We got closed windows, closed doors, and we're sitting here hoping they don't come after us. The reason they're sad is because they've taken their focus off of Jesus. Regular Bible study keeps our, now watch this statement. Regular Bible study keeps our spiritual compass calibrated to point to Jesus. Number two. So number one, Bible study, how does it profit us? It keeps us focused on Jesus. Through all the weird stuff that goes on in this world. And there is a lot of weird stuff going on in this world. With a capital W. A lot of weird stuff. So what do you do? You get in the Bible and keep your... Okay. We're not saying put your head in the sand and ignore the world. We are saying get in the Word of God and keep your focus on Jesus. That's what we're saying. Big number two. What else does this Bible study do? Well, go back with me to Luke 24 again. Okay, so if he used Scripture, well, let's just look at the verse, 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. So if he did this, that means he's in all these Scriptures. That was point one. Now, we're going to draw another conclusion from that, but we're going to go down to verse 44 as well. So based on verse 27, now down to verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake in you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. 
Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So he's going through all these scriptures, and he's comparing scripture with scripture, trying to get them to a, a place of faith and, and, and trust in, in, in what he has told them and put their confidence in. So it brings us to big number two. Bible study profits us as we compare scripture with scripture. I'm going to be a little practical in a moment, but first let me give you some things to think about. The Bible is purposely repetitive in what it teaches. It teaches, there's only so many things in the Bible that's taught. Different people have numbered them different ways, and you've heard me say this statement. Some people list big 12 big things, some come up with 20. The number is not as, as important to understand. There's only a limited things in the Bible that's being taught. And it just repeats and repeats and repeats. And it says it kind of maybe in an illustration here and a type here and a prophecy here, maybe in a, in, a, in a direct teaching in the epistles. It's just the same things being repeated throughout Scripture in, in different ways and in different methods, but it's just a lot of repetitive teaching. So through various writers, over centuries of time, God teaches and reteaches his truth. Just keeps going at it and keeps going at it. Now, that's on purpose, and, that, and therefore, our job is to go in and look at all these places and compare Scripture. He said this here, and he said this here, and he said this here, he said this here, and trying to get a full picture. Probably a good illustration of this is when they crucified Jesus, they put a, 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 a plaque over him, and if you read each of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it talks about it, but each one says a little th- thing different. You have to look at all four accounts to get everything that was on that plaque. It's a good illustration of how the Bible you go through all the Bible to get a complete understanding of Scripture. If you only go to one place in the Bible and build your doctrine on one place in the Bible, most likely your doctrine is going to be wrong. We want to go find out what all the Bible teaches about it and build our doctrine on all that the Bible says about whatever the topic is, uh, whatever the teaching is. So as we compare these various places in the Bible, we receive a better understanding of what God is teaching. So let me show you a couple of verses about this. And then I'll try to make it a little more practical before we get to the third point. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verse 19. Let me see here. That's a good verse. There's a lot of good verses there. I like all these verses. It's not the verse I want. Hang on. If I tell you the verse, you think you could find it for me? It says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I think that's what it says. I also have a, a reference in 1 Corinthians. It may say that too. It could be in 2 Peter chapter 1. Yep, 2 Peter chapter 1. There we go. That's a little detour. You were paying attention. Let me mark you down as an A. There you go. Extra credit. 2 Peter chapter 1. I just made it 2 Peter, so I remember that next time. 2 Peter chapter 1. Look with me at verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any 
private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That kind of has a double teaching there. Uh, part of it is you can't come with your own truth. You can't simply say, well, I believe. Okay, well, okay, you can't have your own interpretation. You've got to look at what the Bible says and look at many places, and that's what the Bible says. But the, I think that that's, that's a secondary. I think the main teaching of that is this. You don't go to one place in the Bible, and that's the only place you look at. I think because he's talking about prophecy. He's talking about we have a more sure word of prophecy. He's talking about how holy men of God wrote, uh, uh, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And I think what he's talking about is we don't just look at Isaiah, or we don't just look at Amos, or we don't just look at Moses, or we don't just look at... We look at all the Scripture together to understand what God says. You can't just pull one verse out and ignore all the other verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2. So how does Bible study profit us? What well, profits us because we're looking at all of this scripture together, which we'll talk about in a second. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. And now... And any time you get one verse wrong, every verse now becomes suspect. 1 Corinthians 2, look at me in verse 12. Here we go. This is, I'm pretty sure, the right verse. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to, all, to, to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And we're going to build on that here in just a second. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they, the things of the Spirit of God, are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they, again, the things of the Spirit of God, uh, because they are spiritually discerned. We understand the spiritual things through the Holy Spirit. But he that is spiritual, how, how, do, how are we spiritual? Well, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and we're walking in the Spirit. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judge of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that we, he uh, may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ right here. This is, tells us what God thinks. Now, how does this look in a practical way, this comparing Scripture to Scripture? The more we study the Bible, the more we're able to connect various parts of the Bible together. How can you know what Amos says in connection with Isaiah if you've never read Isaiah or Amos or just one of, the, one of them? So how does this happen? Well, I'm going to give you three ways quickly how it happens. This happens when we read the Bible and are reminded of other verses. Has this ever happened to you where you read, you read something and you're like, wait a minute. There's another verse. There's another verse similar to that. And I find, I, I use Esword a lot. Esword is not my friend to find verses. Because unless you get it exactly word perfect, Esword doesn't believe it's in the Bible. I'm like, I know it's there. Tell me. Google is my friend. And Google, now it'll give me a very broad, but I'll say, oh, oh there it is. That's the verse. And then I'll go to Esword and type the verse in. And... Uh, Say, good job, Esau, you found it now. And so, um, but I'll find that verse and say, oh, okay. And, I, and here's the verse I read today, and this, maybe this is a verse read three months ago. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I see the connection between these verses. So as I read the Bible on a regular basis, getting Scripture in my brain, so it's kind of fresh in there, and then as I read other Scripture, then because I have the Scripture going on in my brain, I'm able to think and say, wait a minute, there's a connection between these verses. So it happens when we read the Bible. Now watch, that's not the only way it happens. This happens when we hear sermons. You know, it is a very valuable thing to read your Bible and to hear preaching. Because all of a sudden, because 
here's what happens to me. Well, it happens, there's probably a couple of different ways. One, if we hear a sermon, we, 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 we read a verse, we're like, well, I don't really know what that verse is talking about. And we go and sit down and listen to a sermon, and we're like, that's what that verse means. Now that, okay, good. Okay, I'm comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, connecting verses together. But there's another way. And this is what, this, I enjoy this. I, I don't know happens. I'm sure it happens to you, but I enjoy it. I, I love listening to preaching, and uh, here it is. I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, they'll say something, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of other verses that go with it. And I'm starting to write, and now for me, I'm writing sermons. I'm like writing code words for sermons down so I can go back and look at it later. But I'm like, oh, yeah, that verse. And you know what? What he said connects with this other verse, and all of a sudden, I start seeing patterns of truths connecting together. Now, that's how God uses it. Now, if you never read the Bible, is that going to happen? It's never going to happen. So the more you read the Bible, the more apt that is to happen. Now, and I'm not saying this, please. I, I, I know when preachers say this, it just makes us sound bad. And I apologize up front. I'm not trying to be hoity-toity or puffed up. Uh, but the reality is, I've been reading my Bible since I was, I mean, really reading my Bible since, senior year of high school. I've read it before that, but it was kind of like, that and that, okay? But really, since senior year of high school, I really wanted to read it and get something out of it. And so I have a few years, five or six, I have, all, I have a few years of, of Bible reading, so my mind has all of that, you know, working as well as it still works, all that is going on, and so I can pull some stuff out. Now, you, you might say, well, uh, Pastor White, I don't have 40 years of Bible reading under my belt. But you need to start somewhere, somehow, sometime. Because it's never going to happen if you never start. And so let, start now and let God use that to, build, to grow you and build you and conform you to the image of Christ. So we compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So Bible study profits us because now we see the connection. It's not just a whole bunch of different things. We're like, I have no idea what that means. The more we read it, the more we hear sermons, the more the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and insight and understanding, all of a sudden these things start going like, okay, so it's all, it looks like this to start with. And then the Lord begins taking them and bringing them together and lining them up, and we're like, that makes perfect sense. That's how Bible study prophets. And there's the last. Go back with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. And you don't got to be a preacher for that to happen. All you have to be a student of the Bible. Not every preacher is. They should. But not everyone is. And not, everyone who's a, uh, not every preacher is a student of the Bible. Not every student of the Bible is a preacher. But every believer should be a student of the Bible. Luke 24. Let me show you one more place. And we've kind of looted all of this. And now we're just going to tie it together. Luke 24, verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Not just talk, but he opened to us the scriptures. Drop down to verse 45. Then he opened, their, then he, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto him, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and rise from the day, dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem till ye be endued with power from on high. So it brings us to big number three, which is Bible study profits us by providing a foundation for our faith. Now we've alluded to it, we've kind of said that, now we're just stating it. 
Bible study profits us by providing a foundation for our faith, something to build our faith on. Now, we're going to go back and talk about, I said we'd come back to the idea of experience, Scripture versus experience. We're coming back to that, tying it back into this one. Ultimately, our faith must be built on our own understanding and belief of God's Word. Full stop. Think about that statement. Ultimately, your faith has to be built on your understanding of Scripture. So let me, let me irritate a few people. Okay? You grew up in a Christian home. You are so accustomed to church stuff. But it's not your faith. It's your parents' faith. It happens around you. It just, it is what it is. You know, you, you know, this is your schedule at home. This is your schedule at church. This is what you do at home. This is what you do at church. It's just what you go through. But you've never built it on your own faith. And if it's not built on your faith, it's not going to last. It has to be built on your faith. Ultimately, our faith must be built on our own understanding and belief of God's Word. So how is it built on my faith? When you get in the Bible for yourself and say, I don't believe it because my mom and dad says it. I don't believe it because the preacher says it. I don't believe it because the Sunday school teacher says it. I don't believe it because the deacon says it. I don't believe it because of though, that, that. I believe it because I see it for myself. This is what the Scripture says, and I believe the Scripture. Ultimately, that's what our faith has to be built on. Now, we can begin in the early days, and I was this way, and maybe you, you were the same way. We can begin at the beginning point. I'm trying to grow my faith. The beginning point is based on the understanding of our spiritual leaders. We can't end that way. Most of what I believed as a teenager, I believed because my preacher said it. I don't know. I mean, I, he asked a question. This is uh, earlier on. I must have been 14 or something. This is when we just started riding the bus to uh, Emmanuel. They didn't have the junior church built. It was a Sunday afternoon. We rode the bus in the afternoon. And he asked a question. He said, uh, which, which uh, in Book of Acts, who did they vote on to replace Judas Iscariot? Go home, figure it out. Next week we'll have a question. Have, a, have, an, uh, have the answer and someone can win. Well, that put my ears up. Someone's going to win. I said, okay, I'm going I'm to figure this thing out. And so it was me and another girl. The girl happened to be the pastor's daughter cheater. And so she said, I know. And he, he called her, and who is it? Matthias. Matthias. Which, how you pronounce it? How many think Matthias? How many think Matthias? Okay. So she said Matthias. She said it the right way. She said Matthias, because I still call it Matthias, because I'm standing on my faith. So she said Matthias. And I said there, She's wrong. It's not Matthias. It's Matthias. I don't know who Matthias is. So I raised my hand, and I said, he said, well, who do you think it is? I said, I think it's Matthias. And he kind of chuckled and said, well, you're both right. It's just how you want to pronounce it. See, I was right. She was wrong. Um, now, I, I knew so little of the Bible. You know why I went soul winning? My pastor said, if you're a Christian, I go soul winning. I'm going soul winning. I couldn't. I didn't know the Great uh, commission. I, I didn't even know the Romans wrote. My preacher said, go soul winning. My preacher said, get rid of your rock music. I, I, I hated rock music. I've always hated rock music. I, to me, it's just, I, I can't believe why people, it's just, it just like nails on chalkboard. It just, ugh, ugh, I don't like it. I didn't have any. 
I had a lot of country stuff, which is just as bad. But I didn't have any rocks. But my sister had some rock records. He said, go home and break your records. So I went home and broke her records. She didn't appreciate it. I never told her. She asked me what happened to him. I said, I haven't seen him for a few weeks, which is when I threw him away. Now, don't judge me. Now, so there's so many things I did not know. But I hate to think at 58 I'm that way. Eventually, you've got to build on your own faith. Eventually, you've got to go to the Scripture and know what it teaches for yourself. Now, my policy was I'm going to do what those who are more advanced as a young person, what, who are more advanced, who know it, and I'm going to study it and find it out for myself, but I'm not going to wait until I figure it out because I can make a lot of bad decisions. I'm going to trust them and then get to that point. But I need to get to that point. So let me quickly go through this because huh? we've got to hurry here. Too many stories. Faith built on the Bible will surpass any belief based on experiences, no matter how real or true those experiences would ever be. Well, you know, I grew up in a church, and the church always talked about tithing, so I always tithe. Great. Every pastor will love you as long as you always tithe. But that's not why you should do it. You should do it because you know it for yourself. The Bible is universally true for all people. Your experiences are not universally true. They may be true for you, in your mind, but the only thing we can count on that's always true is the Word of God. I have more to say. We'll just stop it at that. I think you get the gist of it. Let's go to the conclusion. Let me give you a couple of thoughts and we'll be done for the night. Bible study for the believer is a lifetime pursuit. You just got to keep at it. It's a lifetime pursuit. We never arrive to the place where we know it all. The truth is this. The more you study it, the more you're going to feel you know less. Because every time you, you're like, I've read, how many times have I read this chapter? And that, I, I just realized it's what it said. Man, where have I been the last 10 years? Okay, the, we never arrive to the place where we're going to know it all. That's why we always are at it. We're always pursuing it. There will be times when, just like the disciples, we struggle over events when we should have trusted God's word. You're going to read your Bible, 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 and something's going to happen in your life, and you're going, oh, oh, what am I going to do? And then you're going to convict it and say, how many times have I read what I'm supposed to do? So what do you do? Well, I'm not going to read the Bible anymore. No, that's not the answer. You know, when you do struggle, here's the answer. In those cases, know that God is merciful and is anxious to recalibrate your faith as you get back into the Bible. You know, if you get sideways about something, a loved one, or they lose their job, or some major health issue comes in their life, or some pandemic happens, happens all the time, some pandemic happens, and they are, oh, oh man, I really blew it. Oh, you know, I was doing so well. And I, okay, you know what? God is merciful. Say, Lord, I blew it. Help me to get back into it. Maybe you're reading your Bible through, and then next you know it's a month or two, and you haven't read your Bible. Oh, oh I haven't read my Bible for two months. Okay, get back to it. Just pick it up and get back to it. God is merciful. He's anxious to speak to you through his word. All right, let's pray, and we'll be done.